0: Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. Begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Super happy to see all of you here today as we celebrate Palm Sunday. We're going to talk today about humility. We're going to talk about humility specifically in the context of Jesus and Palm Sunday. And I would argue that if there's, there is probably never a better time for us to maybe consider this topic or this concept of humility than on Palm Sunday. As we celebrate Jesus humbly walking in Jerusalem for his very, the very last time, we get to meditate on that. So that's what we want to look at today. Our theme is simply humility fit for a king. So we're going to take our our guidance from Jesus, ultimately see his acts, but then also apply that to our own lives of humility. Humility is one of those hard things, isn't it? Um, I would would argue that humility is a little bit like, maybe like water. Um, It's not that easy to nail down when we talk about that concept of humility, uh, um, we start to try to pull it apart. And I would even admit this to you as I prepared this sermon for you. And as we, we, I started looking in scripture and started talking about that concept of humility, it's actually not the easiest thing to preach about because humility is a little bit like, it's a little bit slippery, isn't it? And humility, even in our own lives, even when we start talking about it, The more you analyze it, the more it feels as though it's slipping out of your grasp. Maybe you felt that even in yourself, right? Maybe at different points in your life, you've asked yourself, uh, um, are you exhibiting humility? But that's kind of the trouble with it is the more you look at it, the more evasive it becomes. Today, what we're going to do, how we're going to walk through that is ultimately, maybe not so much define what humility is, but look at what humility was, In Jesus. Because I think humility is like that as well. Um, Someone once said that uh, you know humility when you see it. I would argue you know humility when you feel it from others. Uh, Have any of you heard the phrase Midwest nice? Heard that phrase? Okay. Um, Have any of you ever heard the phrase uh, Minnesota nice? Okay. Because some of you are from Minnesota, right? So okay. You've maybe heard that Midwest nice, Minnesota nice. Um, And I would attest to that just a little bit. My wife is from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is on the border between Wisconsin and Minnesota. And they're remarkably nice people, right? Midwesterners are remarkably nice people. But recently, they were not so nice to one another. Shots were fired between the state of Wisconsin and the state of Minnesota. Here's how it went down. And you may not have heard about it, but it's a big deal there was a, a radio show that was going on, and one of the uh, directors for the, the um, Office of Tourism for Wisconsin was on this radio show. And they were talking a little bit about all the wonderful things that Wisconsin has to offer, um, all the beauties of Wisconsin. And obviously, it was her job to kind of talk Wisconsin up as a place that you would want to go to. And so in the midst of this kind of long-ranging radio show, she made a startling statement. Here's what she said. She said, well, you know, Wisconsin has more lakes than Minnesota. Yeah. And she went a step further. She said, you know, Wisconsin has 15,000 lakes. OK. What's the state motto of Minnesota? OK, 10,000 lakes. You don't even have to be from Minnesota to know it's 10,000 lakes, right? They put it on their, on their license plates, right? Okay shots fired from Wisconsin, right? The claim that Wisconsin had more lakes than Minnesota, 15,000 to be specific. Now, remember that statement, Midwest Nice? Okay. All I can think is like Minnesota started like cracking their knuckles and stuff. Okay, so this got out. Minnesota started to hear about it, right? And people started to chime in and Midwest Nice started to go out the door. So if Minnesota was not going to take this lying down. They were the land of 10,000 lakes. Wisconsin could not claim to have more, and so they shot something back at Wisconsin. They said not only does Minnesota have more lakes than uh, more lakes than Wisconsin, but here's what they said about Wisconsin: they only have about 5,000 lakes and a few dirty ponds. I know. So this is getting serious now, right? So now, so, and, and to some degree, this is how you, how you count a lake. So Minnesota has a very uh, rigid uh, rule about how they count lakes. It has to be bigger than 10 acres. And so they made this accusation of Wisconsin that they were playing fast and loose with the definition of a lake. That they only had 5,000 and a bunch of dirty ponds and puddles. Okay. Minnesota and Wisconsin are about to come to blows, right? It's kind of a silly illustration, but the truth is, countries, families, marriages have fought battles for far less than accusations of how many lakes you have in your state, right? It was all kind of good fun, I think, between Minnesota and Wisconsin. Uh, luckily, it has not landed in war. And if you want to know the the uh, end result of it all, it's a little bit murky, actually. I spent far too much time trying to figure out actually who had more lakes, Minnesota or Wisconsin. And a lot of it comes down to how you define a lake. So um, there really isn't a good answer to that. We're going to let Minnesota have their land of 10,000 lakes. And, uh, and Wisconsin can have their dairy land. Although, if you've heard lately, California shot a, a, has sent a shot across the bow of Wisconsin, claiming that they have more cows and happier cows, and better dairy than Wisconsin. So this, we may not have seen the the end of all of this. um, But on the topic of lakes, I don't know definitively who has more lakes, Minnesota or Wisconsin. I'll let all of you argue about that afterwards. I do know that I grew up in Alaska, and Alaska has more lakes than all of them combined. There you go. So end of the war, right? It serves as a pretty good example, though, of humility we can be nice to one another we can we can love one another we can we can want to be warm and welcome to one another but at times all of that gets thrown out the door doesn't it when someone angers us when someone sins against us when someone offends us when we don't get exactly what we want it's amazing how fast midwest nice can go running for the exits we've seen it in our lives we've seen it in our relationships Today, that's what we want to talk about. How are we as believers able to live lives of humility in the relationships around us, the world in which we live? So we're going to let Jesus be our guide on that on Palm Sunday. You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Uh, We're going to look at specifically Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first four verses for us there. Um, And I want to look at, at three different things today. I want to look specifically at the Apostle Paul giving us a command Yeah, a command to be humble, to live lives of humility. But secondarily, I want to look at where do we get the power to actually do what the Apostle Paul commands us to do. And then third, we want to look at how does that, how does that, how is that applied in our everyday living as believers? So that's kind of where we're headed in our text here today. But before we get there, we kind of got to set the scene of what's happening in the book of Philippians. And even in our, our gospel text with Jesus walking into Jerusalem for the last time. That concept of humility is all over the pages of Scripture. Do you know that? Our text today actually has a word for humility, but if you go through the pages of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, there, there is just a, a, um, a bonanza of words that describe humility and selflessness and serving others. So now if, you, if you've been in the church, if you uh, have been in your Bible, you've maybe heard these things. And maybe on some level, I think as believers, we almost take that for granted. But understand how, how rare that is. I would say that it's hard for you to read Scripture without finding passage after passage encouraging us as believers to live lives of humility, lives of selflessness, and lives of service. But here's the thing, that stands in pretty stark contrast to the world around us, doesn't it? Because how well does that go over in your workplace, at school, with your sports teams, or even in your relationships? Well, it seems to be a little bit of at odds, doesn't it? That was true of our text here today as well, with the Apostle Paul speaking to a church in the city of Philippi. See, they lived in the Roman Empire, and that Roman Empire absolutely valued power and strength and intimidation. The last thing that the Roman Empire wanted and the last thing that the Roman Empire would exude was a, a ah, was humility and was service. And you want a good example of that? We're coming up on it during Holy Week. Jesus' own crucifixion. You want to know why Romans crucified people and killed them in the most gruesome way? It was to project power and it was to subjugate those that were around them. And so within that Roman Empire and where Paul is speaking, that concept of humility was absolutely in the dust. It was not encouraged. In fact, it was looked down upon. Right? But I think that's why it's incredibly important for us as believers to consider that quality of humility. And in... Some way, I think it should pop up on our radar. If the world around us thinks this is a quality that is worth absolutely nothing, but the pages of Scripture have evidence and examples of it over and over again, then we should pause. We should talk about it. right? We should understand it. So that's what we want to do today. The Apostle Paul is going to be our guide. I want to read for you the very first four verses of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this, Therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here's our key verse. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So it's kind of a fascinating setting. The Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in the city of Philippi, to the church in the city of Philippi. And if the Apostle Paul writes you a letter and says, I want to encourage you to be selfless and to have humility, what could you surmise was not evident or present in that Christian church? Maybe a little humility, right? Yeah, and, and that's the really fascinating thing about this, isn't it? Um, when the Apostle Paul writes letters in the New Testament, at times he addresses um, issues that these Christian churches were having, problems that they were having, things that were tearing apart the Christian church and the early Christian church. Now, here's the most fascinating part of this lesson from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to that church in the city of Philippi. But to be honest, this is one of the best early Christian churches that, were, that there was. In fact, Paul would talk about the Christians in the city of Philippi with great joy. He he had incredible amounts of love for them. In fact, on some level, they were kind of set up as an example of what it means to live as a Christian church. And yet, what is Paul encouraging them to do? To be humble. To be selfless. Here's our lesson. Even the best of us at the best of times, in the best circumstances, struggle with humility. It was evident in that church in Philippi, so much so that Paul uh, had them pause and took them aside and said, this is what you are to be. And notice our text, he starts out with kind of four indefinite clauses or four if ands or or, or um, conditional clauses rather Uh, He says, if you have any encouragement, if any comfort, if any common sharing, if any tenderness. So Paul is basing all of this on what had come before and what had he just shared with them? He just shared with them Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for them. And so Paul comes to this Christian congregation and says, if these things are true and they are, then here's the command that I give to you. Be humble and be selfless. You want to know what's kind of interesting? This isn't an optional thing, is it? (laughs) Paul doesn't, doesn't say this as an optional thing. And I think he's right. Because think of how foundational that quality of humility is to our lives as believers. I would argue it underpins almost everything. And remember we talked a little bit about Humility being like water. It's hard to get a grasp on, but it nourishes and it hydrates the entire life of a Christian. And so when Paul sets aside and makes a command to the Philippians to be humble, this is no small thing. And it's not for us either, is it? But we know how hard that is, isn't it? You struggle with humility. Humility. No one wants to shake their heads, yes, right? (laughs) Right? I think the truth is we all struggle with humility a little bit, don't we? When we talk about being humble, when we talk about being selfless in your own mind, no hands need to go up. Did you think of someone that you wish was here today to hear a sermon on humility? So don't say any names, right? I mean, be honest, right? When we talk about this concept of humility, are we the first person that we think of? I think far too often it's not. We think of our spouse, who we argued with on our way to church this morning. We think of our kids, our teenagers, who could use a little more humility, right? We think of that person at work, who just seems to, to, to kind of rub it in every single moment that they can. That person at work that just gets under our skin. We think of that person in our extended family that we just can't stand seeing because every single holiday that we get together, we hear the same stories. And when they're in a room, it always becomes all about them. See, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, when we talk about that concept of humility, Quite often, the last person we think of is ourselves. But in truth, humility is a little slippery like that, isn't it? Ultimately, who's the first person that we should think of? Ourselves. When we talk about that concept of humility, really, it has very little to do with those people out there it has everything to do with you, with me, and what's in my heart. And really, that's what Paul is getting at here. He commands us as believers to practice humility and to be selfless. And that begins here. It begins in my heart, it begins in your heart, it begins in your actions and in your lives, right? Now, being humble. Being selfless, I think that's easier said than done. And so, really, what we have to ask ourselves is what powers a life of humility? Luckily for us, blessed for us, Paul tells us exactly where we can go to to be humble, to be selfless, and what powers our Christian living. Verses five through eight, Paul says this In your relationships with one another. So, he's talking to that Christian church in Philippi, he's talking to us, right? When God gives us a command to do something, to be something, he never puts it back on us to just try to figure out how to make that happen. Do you know that? When God gives us a command to be something, to act in a certain way, do you know that he also gives us the power and the ability to do that in those very same words? That's what Paul gives us here today. So he commands those Christians in Philippi to be humble, to be selfless. And then what does he say immediately after it? Your humility is powered by Jesus Christ and his humility. And specifically, a savior, a king who humbly rode into Jerusalem knowing that he would be put to death on Good Friday. Our Christian living, our humility, our selflessness is not powered by, by a sincere intention on us to, to live lives of self selflessness. It's powered by nothing short and nothing less than Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. So the Apostle Paul puts before us Christ, that he willingly humbled himself to be born in a lowly manger in Bethlehem, to live his life. To be humiliated, to be tried, ultimately crucified on our behalf. So our lives of selflessness, well, they're powered by Christ. The reality that he died on the cross to wash our sins clean. That's the joy we have as believers on this Palm Sunday. Um, Believers and, and people that were proclaiming Hosanna in the highest, laying palm branches and their cloaks at his feet, by Good Friday would be shouting, crucify him. And yet that wasn't the end of the story and it's not the end of the story for you and I because Christ rose from the dead three days later. The assurance that our sins are forgiven, that all of our acts of arrogance, all of our anger, all of our hatred, all the grudges that we have held are washed clean because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And so if we want to live lives of humility and selflessness, we look to Christ. Because in Him, we see humility. And in Him, we know that we're forgiven. Ultimately, that leads us to lives of humility. And what does that look like in our everyday lives? Because once again, humility is kind of hard to grab a hold of. And, and I want to start this out by saying three things that humility is not. Okay, Before we talk about what humility is in in our lives as believers. So three things that it's not. Number one, living lives of humility and selflessness does not mean that we have no boundaries, okay? Living lives of humility and selflessness does not mean that we allow ourselves to be abused and to be doormats to people, okay? I say that because as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times, how many moments I've had counseling where a spouse is simply just being sinned against and at times even abused. Okay. So number one, humility or selflessness does not mean that we subject ourselves to abuse of others. Right. Okay. Number two, uh, humility does not mean that we don't use our gifts that God has given us. Right. Right. Um, humility doesn't mean that we don't use the God-given gifts that God has put into our lives. Each of you have been blessed in different ways to be used to God's glory and for the benefit of the people around you, right? So humility doesn't mean that we just deny those things and the gifts that God has poured out on us, okay? So doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. doesn't mean that we deny our gifts. And the last one is we don't turn humility into just another work, Right? We would call that false humility. Like, look how humble I am, right? Acts of humility in order to elicit a certain response, right? So those are three things that humility are not. So then what is humility and selflessness in our lives? Well, that's a little hard to pin down as well, isn't it? But again, you know it when you see it, and you know it when you feel it. You maybe know the author, C.S. Lewis, he has a pretty incredible quote on uh, that concept of humility. He says this, he says, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, so it's not having um, what the world would deem as low self-esteem, it's not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less, okay? So humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I think that's a beautiful way to see that and to put humility into practice. What does it look like in our workplaces? I think it looks like employees and employers that work together for the good of their company so that you can, you can earn money and take care of your families and put food on the table and a roof over your house. In the workplace, it means not stepping on others in order to gain advantage and advance your career. In the workplace, it means doing the right thing and the honest thing even when people are not watching. I think that's what humility and selflessness can look like in the workplace. What about in your families, your extended families? I think what it looks like is putting the needs of your loved ones ahead of your own. It doesn't mean holding on to grudges for years and years and years. It doesn't mean refusing forgiveness to people that have asked for forgiveness. And it also doesn't mean not asking for forgiveness when you've hurt somebody else. It means a degree of vulnerability amongst and within the relationships in which we exist. A willing, willingness to admit fault, to ask for forgiveness, and to grant forgiveness to those that have hurt you. I think that's what humility and selflessness looks like in a family. How about in a marriage? One of the first troublesome signs that I have when a couple comes to me for counseling is a lack of humility and selflessness in that marriage. Because it's absolutely destructive. And so between a husband and a wife, what does it look like? What does humility and selflessness look like? It looks like putting the needs of your spouse ahead of your own. It means loving and being loved. It means forgiving and being forgiven. It means basing that relationship on Christ and the humility he has given to us and shown to us. Humility and selflessness is a little bit hard to nail down. But I think water is probably a pretty good example of what it is. We absolutely need it. It hydrates the body. It's the lifeblood of a Christian. We draw on Christ as our wellspring for that. If there is ever a time where we get to watch and to understand humility. It's on Palm Sunday. As we triumphantly see our King humbly ride into Jerusalem, destined for a cross, but resurrection and eternal life. Pray the Lord blesses your life of humility and selflessness. I pray the Lord blesses our relationships with one another as we live out what Christ has done on our behalf. Most importantly, pray the Lord blesses our holy week and the reminder and the assurance that our sins have been forgiven in Christ. Amen.